plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, fun, fun, fun. That's what we're all about here at Star Style. Be the star you are. Welcome to our party, all of you power partners. This will be an hour of enlightenment and a lot of fun. So today's show we will be having in segment two, Dallas Woodburn. She is a contributor to our new book about Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers. And moreover, she is an incredible in-demand writing coach and an author in her own right. And so you're going to really enjoy uh, her interview She's going to be reading her chapter on gentleness, and then she'll tell us all about what she does with her 90-day book breakthrough program and many other things. We're also going to bring you Legends of the Fall, because fall is filled with legends and myths and fairs and festivals, all celebrating the bounty from various cultures around the world. You know, the days are shorter, the nights are longer. It's uh, cooler out there, although if you're in California, it's still pretty dang warm here. And so that's maybe um, probably a, a good thing. And then right now, though, I am going to be talking about in segment one how to raise optimistic, optimistic children. But the miracle moment for today is uh, brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. We are in our 20th year of serving the community, the states, and the world. So please consider making a donation today. Go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Be The Star You Are is a literacy and positive media charity, and it is supported 100% by individual donations. And part of what Be The Star You Are does as an outreach is bring you this program as well as Express Yourself Teen Radio on Tuesdays at noon. And this is from Mark Allen. Fools never learn from their mistakes. Smart people learn from their mistakes. And wise people learn from other people's mistakes. So think about that one, and let's learn from other people's mistakes. So are you raising optimistic kids in this era of pessimism? Many of you may have read an article in Time magazine in the last few months talking about how, as parents, we can parent better to raise kids that are going to be thinking optimistically because we have to learn how to enjoy the challenges appreciate the possibilities, and learn to possess a deep belief in our ability to master situations. We have to have hope for the future. It's a must. We have to have confidence in that hope. That's a very strong plus. And we have to keep a motto of, you know, keep on going. Try, try again, because this is what opportunities are all about. We really can do it. There's really excellent reasons for anyone whether it be nations, you know, businesses, schools, to seek out things that are optimistic. Because it's very, very true 
for everyone, and it's never been more truer for parents. I think parents today are really living in tough times and how to raise their kids and how to help them be more positive and optimistic when, when, you know, the era really looks very pessimistic. So how can we do that? Well, first of all, it seems that from research, we find that optimists are better entrepreneurs, they experience better health outcomes, they live longer, and they're very um, satisfied with their relationships and where they are in life. Their optimism enables them to continue to strive, even in the face of difficulty. While if you're pessimist, if you're pessimistic, it leaves you feeling depressed and hopeless and resigned to failure. And you know, pessimists sometimes even expect failure. So why would you want to do that? I wanted, I've always wanted a very hopeful outlook for my kids, so that's the way I raised them. And as you probably know, if you've been listening to this program since 1998, I think most of us want to be hopeful and we want to look at everything from an optimistic uh, outlook. But we have to face it, we do live in some pessimistic times, especially when we consider the environment, the government, and education. So the resulting stew of negativity can make you worry about the future or about your kids' future. And you're so many people, and a lot of young people I've talked to, especially millennials, who are at that age where they may be wanting children, many of them are very afraid to bring children into this world because they think that the worldview is so grim. But how can we expect them to practice Uh, what we're preaching if we're not practicing it ourselves. So fortunately, research is suggesting some helpful ways that we can be resilient and that we can help our children have that can-do, you know, the little train that could attitude that marks the optimist. And in that same realm, we'll be happier and have a better disposition for ourselves. So here are a few things that you can try from things that we have learned. You want to pay attention to the positive. There's one problem with the pessimist's uh, perspective because progress is truly happening everywhere. Humanity has improved by many measures. I mean, think about life expectancy, think about poverty, think about malnutrition, illiteracy, religious tolerance, gender equality. Yes, there's still lots of things that are bad there, and lots of, um, of milestones that we can still conquer. But success has become the water in which we swim. And we just can't take that for granted. While we fail to notice the positive, our brains naturally want to emphasize the negative. So we really have to be focused and really decide that we have to tame those beasts. Now with practice, we can help our brains give the good stuff equal weight. We, when you hear a great story or you achieve something in your own life or you just find yourself in a beautiful place with those you love, deliberately be mindful. Rest your soul. Think about that experience. Stay with it. Let it sink into your heart. Feel that feeling and describe what you're doing to your kids and encourage your children to dwell on their joys and their pleasures, not just their sorrows. 
Another thing that we can do as parents is change how we explain current events because optimism can be developed. Researchers have found that when people with a pessimistic outlook use positive language to describe situations that they find traumatic, it actually changes their feelings about that situation and it helps their their situation become or their feelings about that situation become more positive and they will generally have a more optimistic outlook and that optimism will continue to increase. So that's something that all of us can try at home because, you know, I've said this many times on the air as an actor, what we learn as an actor, it all action requires reaction. So it's not what happens to us that really describes who we are or what we're going to be. It's really how we respond to everything. So when events that drive the news could be bad, then maybe tell your kids to take note of all the people that are trying to do something positive to change that. And then the pessimism derives in large part from that collective expectation that we can do better. So that can be a source of optimism is when something goes bad, just say we can do better. Let's change it for the good. Now, Moderate your news intake. This is probably something that is really very important for everyone. On any given day, ugly things are said and done. Justice hasn't been served. And there are a lot of forces that are aligned to ensure that we don't miss a minute of negativity. That's pretty much why I actually never listen or watch news. I, I really, I try to monitor what I do because I really want to find the positive in everything. So those flashes of anxiety are kind of pointless. We may need and want to know what's going on in the world, but news delivered in that manner evokes fear rather than informs. You know how the news is, if it bleeds, it leads. I mean, that's a, a kind of a scary thing. And it makes our kids worried as well. It helps them think that um, the world, you know, the sky is falling, the world is falling apart. And it really provides fear, fear that they may lose their parents, they may lose siblings, they may lose their home. And that's what we don't want them to have. So turn your news notifications off. Then involve yourself in your community. You know, following that big, scary news not only leaves you feeling helpless and distraught, it can also distract you from small issues um, because when you know the facts and then acting about them, it can make a difference. And we have to differentiate between what's real news, what's fake news. All You know, I just hate that whole idea of the fake news. So just put your energy toward making sure you and your family are a part of the world now. They're part of the world around you. And that might mean volunteering for a nonprofit, you know, voting for other people. It might also um, mean just simply joining and being part of a local club or a local institution that feed natural human need for connection. Not the digital connection, actually human connection. You know, if you're an adult, you might join your chamber of commerce or or a church group, uh, or, you know, something for your kids like 4-H or Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or something like that, something that's going to be positive. Find something in your area that makes you feel hopeful and make it part of your family life because raising optimistic kids, it's hard. 
And in part because it demands that parents relinquish that cynical perspective. And that's the easiest response to an era where there's a lot of pessimism. So I don't know what makes you or your kids do um, or what makes news better for you, but I just know that we have to find positive ways and we have to answer that call of optimism and raise our kids as best as possible with that call of optimism. Hopeful, resilient problem solvers are needed. So we need to show up and make the best of it. And we need to live with gentleness. And with that, we will uh, go to our next segment, which will focus on Dallas Wordburn. And she is going to be reading her chapter on gentleness, which will really help you as a parent or a coach or anyone that's dealing with anyone learn how to be more gentle and to be more caring. And for a book of how to be a happier parent and raise a family, having a life and loving almost every minute, you can read um, Del Antonia's book is How to, to Be a Happier Parent. I'm Cynthia Bryan. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. We will be right back with Dallas Woodburn. Don't go away. We have lots more to come. Be the star you are. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. Power Party with another pioneer on the planet. My good friend Dallas Woodburn is going to be joining us now. She is an author. She births books. She's a writing coach. And she is going to be having a baby soon. Welcome, Dallas, to Star Style. Be the star you are. 
Thank you, Cynthia. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I am really happy to have you on, and it was perfect timing uh, because my first segment, I was talking about how to raise optimistic kids, and you were one of the most positive, optimistic people I know, and I know that you do so much when you are helping your clients with writing. You really know how to nurture, nurture the confidence as well as the writing skills of people. But I have already announced that you are a contributor to our new book, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, uh, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World. And I thought maybe we should go ahead and um, start with you uh, reading that chapter because it's about gentleness. And I think that just leads into what we're going to talk about with your writing skills and how you coach in this segment. Yes, that sounds perfect. I'm okay. so honored to be included in the book. And I would, yeah, I'll love to read my chapter. Well, and I, you know, I, when I listen to it, I get all choked up because it's, it's really a powerful chapter. So it's The Gift of Gentleness, and this is Dallas Woodburn. I have loved basketball since I was a little girl. During elementary school recesses, I played horse and pickup games with the boys. At home, we had a basketball hoop in our driveway, and I spent many hours practicing until the daylight faded away to dusk and it was time to come in for dinner. I love the teamwork, the fast-paced energy of the game, the elegance of shooting, that clean feeling when you release the ball from your hand and know it's going in, and then that joyful swish through the net. My freshman year of high school, I was thrilled when I made the Frosh Soft Girls basketball team. The sophomore girls on the team welcomed me into their fold. We worked hard in practice, but the ultimate goal was to have fun. I played center or power forward, so I never dribbled the ball much. But I remember one game when the defender wasn't guarding me until I reached the half-court line. So coach told me to dribble the ball up the court each play, and I did it successfully. I was nervous at first because I never thought I could be a point guard. But after that game, I felt like I could do anything. Like I didn't have to box myself into a specific role. And the more confident I felt in myself, the better I played. Midway through the season, the varsity coach decided to move a girl on the junior varsity team up to varsity and to move me up to the JV team. I felt honored to be chosen, but it was a difficult situation to move into a new team partway through the season. I was the new girl at the bottom of the totem pole, playing with girls older than I was and better than I was, who had already built their own team dynamics. On the Frosh Soft team, I had started every game, but now on the JV squad, I sat on the bench and felt lucky to play a couple of minutes. My confidence tanked, but I still tried my best to be positive and work hard. The biggest obstacle was my new coach. A nice man off the court, during practices and games, he would yell constantly. He berated me for not being tough enough, and nothing I did could convince him otherwise. No amount of showing up early for practice, working hard during drills, or hustling up and down the court changed his opinion of me. To me, playing basketball was as much a contest against myself to continue working hard and improving my own game as it was a contest against the other team. I didn't have that desire to crush my opponents, and if we lost, I shook it off pretty easily, but that didn't mean I wasn't tough. As I entered my sophomore year, the situation remained the same. During each game, I sat on the bench, my knees jiggling. 
I yearned to play, but I was also filled with nerves. I worried about making a mistake. I tried to remain confident in myself, but it was hard. One game will be forever etched into my memory. It wasn't the playoffs, nor was it a game against our big rival. But it was a personally important game because my Uncle Wayne was in town and would be attending with my parents. I looked up to Uncle Wayne and I wanted to impress him. I hoped that I would get some playing time to show my best effort. In the second quarter, coach put me in. Someone on my team fouled a player on the opposing team in the act of shooting, so we all lined up for free throws. Since the other team was shooting, my team lined up on the innermost spots. The player shot the first free throw. I bent my knees, elbows out, preparing to box out for the rebound if the second free throw was a miss. It was. I successfully boxed out my player. But another player, a guard from the other team who had not been boxed out, swept in and grabbed the rebound. Immediately, my coach was screaming. He called a timeout and we all ran for the bench. I was not prepared for what happened next. My coach had yelled at me before, but nothing was like this. Loudly leaning right into my face, he screamed at me for not getting the rebound. He screamed that it was my fault that we were losing and that I wasn't trying hard enough. I was completely caught off guard because I didn't even think I had made a mistake. But even if I had, even if I had purposely dribbled the wrong way down the court and deliberately scored two points for the other team, his verbal outrage would have been completely out of bounds. I realize that now. A grown man yelling in red-faced rage at a 16-year-old girl is never okay. I would learn later that it took every ounce of self-control from my father not to run down from the bleachers and yank me away from that screaming man. But he didn't want to embarrass me or cause any more of a scene. He tried to catch my eye so he could thump his chest with his fist in our signal for, I love you, you're doing great, but I wouldn't look at him. The reason why I wouldn't look at my dad or at anyone in the bleachers was because I was ashamed. Already, as I took my place at the end of the bench and avoided my teammates' eyes, I was internalizing my coach's words. He was in a position of power, and he was telling me that I was a loser, and in that moment, I believed him. I believed that everyone saw things the way he did. It never crossed my mind that perhaps I didn't deserve it, that perhaps coach, not me, was in the wrong. Later, my parents would comfort me. They would schedule a meeting with my coach about the incident, although he would never apologize. And later, I would decide to end my basketball career and focus on cross-country and track. Although I still loved basketball, I did not miss the self-doubt and negativity that came from playing on that team. These days, I only think of my old coach very occasionally when I make a mistake and catch the way I'm talking to myself. Not usually, but sometimes, the words that I say to myself could be coming directly out of his screaming mouth. I can't believe you just did that. What were you thinking? You ruined everything. It's all your fault. Whenever I catch myself doing this, I try to immediately silence that critical voice in my head by taking a few deep breaths. Then I ask myself, how would you talk to your best friend if she was in this situation? The answer, I would never yell at her. I would treat her with gentleness, compassion, and understanding. I would offer words of encouragement and support. Myself deserves that same courtesy and love. It is up to each one of us to break the cycle, not only in our behavior towards others, but also in the way we treat ourselves. 
I do not want to be an angry basketball coach screaming at myself. Instead, I want to be like the coach of my fresh soft team who made me feel confident enough to be point guard, even though I had never played that position before, who would never have yelled at me, even if I had failed. And with that knowledge helped give me the confidence to succeed. I want to talk to myself the way that my parents talked to me on that day, drawing in the shadows of my shame and erasing them with light. After all, that little voice inside my head is powerful. It is the only voice that I hear all day, every day. It never, ever needs to yell to be heard. A gentle, compassionate whisper will do just fine. And that's the end. I just love that so much because, I mean, this is just so you. And you know what my first question, Dallas, is about this is because you're a writing coach and you've been a writing coach for a very long time now. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you feel that that experience that uh, happened to you so long ago, well, it wasn't that long ago, but that happened to you, really informed the way that you coach and teach and work with your students today? It definitely does. That's such a good question, Cynthia. I know you and I have talked about this before, (laughs) but um, yes, I feel that being positive and giving constructive comments and encouragement helps so much more than being critical. And what I really see with writing is people have enough criticism in their own minds that if I can just help give them confidence that they feel more excited about their ideas, they feel nurtured, they feel like they actually want to spend time writing down these thoughts inside their head, um, it makes all the difference. So I think of myself as a coach. Uh, My primary role is to be a cheerleader for I agree. I totally see. I mean, I I know we've talked about this, but I am so in, I am just so in sync with that because I too had similar experiences with an acting, well, with several acting coaches in my past where they just tore you down to the, you know, core. That was their idea. Feel your core. But the reality is many people, and I would say most people don't work well with somebody who's yelling and screaming and making them feel less than, and I think most humans do better when we're encouraging and empowering them and gently, as your chapter so aptly says, gently helps them along the route. Exactly, exactly. I, um, a lot of my, stu- my students, especially my, my little ones, um, their parents will come to me and will, will seem a little bit amazed that I'm able to get um, the students to, you know, actually sit down and, and do their work and, and work on their assignments and their writing. And, you know, sometimes the parents will say, you're just so nice. I didn't, I didn't know that they would, you know, listen to you. But I think it's because I'm, I'm gentle with them that um, my students, you know, people can tell when you actually care about them and you care they, about their ideas. Right. I was just going to say that, that people know when you believe in them. People really feel that. They feel your passion and the fact that you have their best interests at heart. And then they also know when you're just being mean. And that coach was really was really being mean to you. Uh, you know, just as an aside, not that it really matters. Did he? But did he go on to continue coaching? 
That's a good question. Um, yes, I mean, he, he didn't, well, while I was still in high school, he, he was still coaching. I'm not sure if he is still coaching today or not. Um, well, you weren't but, yeah. that long ago in high school. I mean, you're, you're still very young. And with that, you and your husband are expecting your first child. And that's very soon now. How excited are you? I'm so excited. It feels a little bit surreal. Yes, the due date is November 30th. So oh my goodness. we are getting we are getting close. We have the nursery already, and um, she's actually we're expecting a little girl, and oh, she's moving around know. a little bit right now. Yeah, um, isn't it the best time of your life? I mean, I truly loved being pregnant. I thought it was like so fabulous. I know a lot of people don't. They think that's you know you, that you, they just don't feel right. But I just think it's a very special time between you and your husband. Yeah, and yes. you know you just feel this new life coming. So, you know, um, I was talking about raising optimistic kids, and you are this passionate, optimistic person. Have you discussed how you want to nurture the strengths of your child so that she can be the best that she can be? We have talked about that. And something that my husband and I both have in common is we feel very fortunate that our parents were and continue to be very nurturing and encouraging of us. So both of us grew up in houses where we felt very supported and loved and like we could, you know, pursue whatever passions and dreams we had. And so we definitely want to, um, you know, nurture that same environment for our daughter. And something that a lot of people have said to me um, is, oh, well, you know, she's obviously going to be a great writer or she's going to be all into writing since I'm and you into don't writing. care and you but don't I care don't, exactly I mean I right. think if she likes to write that'll be wonderful but there's a part of me too that thinks you know I've never been super talented in science for example and what if she ends up being really passionate about science that would actually be kind of cool well, um so yes. whatever she loves And see, this is, it's really how blessed both of you were to be raised with nurturing parents and parents who believed in you. And the part in your chapter when you said that your dad sitting in the bleachers thumped his chest and you could, you know, it it was very hard for him not to come down and give that coach um, a talking to or a clobbering or something. My dad used to sit in the bleachers as well when I was, uh, and all of us, there were five of us when we were playing sports or cheerleading or whatever, and he had a bald head. And what he would do is rub his head because he would say, hunt for the shiny head in the bleachers if you're losing your confidence. And, you know, to me, that's a wonderful thing that a parent does is gives a signal to their child to let them know you are always loved. You are always treasured. No matter what goes on, I'm here for you. And, And I think this is probably what has helped you be the amazing, talented person that you are. Because I know that we connected, I believe you were still in high school. Now, when you wrote your first book, how old were you when you wrote your first book? I was um, in elementary school. Elementary school. Oh, gosh. Well, I guess that is. Was that about, was it 10, 12? Yeah, I was was about 10 years old when I I self-published my first book. Mm -hmm. Right. 
And we, I want to just give people your website, and then we'll continue talking. Uh, you can find out everything about Dallas at uh, writeonbooks.com. And write on is like the word write, W-R-I-T-E, on books.com. She edits and publishes the best-selling series, Dancing with the Pen. It's a collection of some of the, today's best youth writing, which I think is so great. And, of course, you blog um, about your life. But um, then you you also are doing this 90-day book breakthrough program. Would you like to share information about that? Yeah, thanks, Cynthia. I would love to. It's a program I developed to help people who are really stuck um, with their writing and they, they want to write a book. Maybe they've been procrastinating or putting it off forever. And so the program is um, a coaching program where I, I help people get from the start of their book to the final, the finish line, the end on their manuscript in 90 days. So it's kind of like an a, a intensive uh, period where you're really committing to writing and we work on all of those self-doubt, self-criticism. We, we try to vanquish those, those monsters and develop a nurturing writing routine. Um, so you can learn more about that. The website is yourbookbreakthrough.com. Yourbookbreakthrough.com, and we'll give these websites out at the at the end of the segment too. And also, you can also go to DallasWoodburnAuthor.com, and Dallas is spelled like the city, and Woodburn is wood, and then B-U-R-N Author.com. Well, you know, again, one of the things that I think you're so known for is really putting a lot of energy and effort into writing excellent um, pieces, but at the same time, you don't believe in being a perfectionist, and you, as you said, you want to vanquish all that self-criticism and the doubt and, oh, I'm not good enough kind of things. So how do you get past all of, you know, get past being the perfectionist? Because to me, that's always a killer when you, you know, you just have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite, and then it's never done. Exactly. That's such a good question. And I I think some people even have the perfectionism before they even get a word on the page. And so I always say that, you know, having words on the page, even if they're not perfect, is always infinitely better than having that blank page. And I think for me, it comes from trying to remind myself that it doesn't have to be perfect to um, to help someone and to inspire someone. And so eventually, like you said, you get to that point where you could just be revising the same piece over and over and over forever. But there comes a time when you have to release it into the world and let it go so that it can help serve someone else, hopefully, and then you can work on something new. And also, I think the idea of vanquishing perfectionism is... Even when you have little blips, you know, and people see them or read it, possibly, this is just my thought process, it gives them the idea, oh, well, you know, she's an author or she's a writer and she has books published and she's a coach and even she makes little, you know, faux pas, etc. Because I look back at some of my early writing and I don't want to say I cringe because I don't cringe. I just say, oh. Gosh, if I was writing that today, I could do so much better. Do you ever do anything like that? 
I do. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's part of the beauty of it is, is that it's a, it's like a time capsule and it's kind of a reminder of how far you've come and how you've grown. And sometimes people ask me, what's your favorite book out of all the books that you've written? And I always say that I love each one of them for, for different reasons. I, I love who I was when I wrote each of them. And I love being able to see how I've grown and evolved since since that that time yeah I agree with you I say to people when they ask me what because I have eight books now what's your favorite book it's like well they're all my children (laughs) you know how do you pick a favorite child or or if you're someone who doesn't have children how do you pick a favorite flower or a favorite animal or you know you just can't okay you have a brand new book out called woman running late in a dress Just share a little bit about that because it's a very fascinating title. How did you come up with the title and tell tell our audience about it? Oh, thank you. Yes, it's a collection of short stories, and it just came out this past March. Um, and it's really um, an example of perseverance and um, how... I think in any endeavor that, that we take on, there are going to be roadblocks and you might have some disappointment and some rejection. But if you keep believing in yourself and, and plugging away that eventually it's going to be worth it. So um, those short stories, I, the book was actually about 10 years in the making. Um, I began writing the stories when I was in college and then I wrote more in graduate school and I revised them and made them better and better. And I submitted this book um, for years and years to different publishers and um, just got rejection letters back. And I remember my, my speaking of parents, my parents telling me, you know, that the, um, the rejections will make the eventual acceptance that much sweeter and more meaningful. And at the time I sort of thought, Oh, I'm tired of these rejections though. (laughs) But they were right that when I finally got a call from a publisher is yellow flag press, they're a small press out of Louisiana. And they called to tell me that they wanted to publish my book. And since yeah, I just started crying. Yes. I was so I oh. was just so excited and overcome. And um, it's been wonderful now to have this book out in the world. And I think since the characters, I've been living with them for a decade, you know, just myself, just on my hard drive, that it feels even more meaningful to have them out in the world and to have people reading about these characters. I've visited book clubs and talked about the stories. And it just feels so special to have um, people reading my stories and connecting with them and um, these are all fiction but they have you know themes that I hope resonate with people emotionally and they also have um, I think you know they also have like tidbits of wisdom in them you know which I think is important and people you can read and find her books wherever you find your books but go to her website Dallas Woodburn author com. Well, we're at the end of our segment, but I would like you to end by just giving a final tip that you would like to share with our audience of how to get started as a writer or whatever you would like to share, because I am a huge fan of yours, Dallas, and I'm just so glad that you are gracing our airwaves. Oh, likewise, Cynthia. I'm a huge fan of yours. Um, I guess my my final thought would be just to um, really trust in your own ideas and your own brilliance and just to remember that out of everyone in this world, you are the only person um, 
like yourself. You are the only one who has your own unique stories and experiences and ideas. And so if you don't write them down, then who will? You know, you have that unique um, perspective to share with the world. So really try to remember that whenever you feel discouraged and um, just trust in your own inner wisdom. Such perfect advice. That's what it means to be the star you are. You are unique. You're one of a kind. And that is Dallas Woodburn. You are unique and wonderful. And congratulations on all that you're doing. I know you have another book forthcoming. I believe um, the best week that never happened, right? Yes. We have that to look forward to. So that's going to be exciting as well. So go to DallasWoodburnAuthor.com. And if you would like to do her 90 days breakthrough, you can go to yourbookbreakthrough.com. And of course, uh, there is more on writeonbooks.org, which uh, she had founded many years ago. That was, uh, I think, in 2001. And that's her organization, Write On Books. So she empowers youth just as we try to here at Be The Star You Are. So a very, very empowering young lady and future mom. So congratulations, Dallas. Thank you so much, Cynthia. It's been such a pleasure. DallasWoodburnAuthor.com. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. I'll be right back and we'll do a little bit of Legends of the Fall. Don't go away. Be the star you are. The star you Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Mistakes are inevitable. It's what you do with them that matters. Now, here's an acronym from Filing Forward that helps keep mistakes in perspective. M, messages that give us feedback about life. I, interruptions that should cause us to reflect and think. S, are signposts that direct us to the right path. T, tests that push us towards greater maturity. A, is awakenings that keep us in the game mentally. K, keys that we can use to unlock the next door of opportunity. E is explorations that let us journey where we've never been before. And S are statements about our development and progress. Those are mistakes. So look for ways to praise your team's members' mistakes and turn them into opportunities to help your team learn from them today. Because you may end up realizing that mistakes are often more valuable than perfection. Remember, you're the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For more information, visit CynthiaBryan.com. That's Cynthia Bryan, B-R-I-A-N.com. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion dollars. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. 
Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. org. Dare to care. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. George Eliot had written, Delicious Autumn, My Very Soul is Wedded to It. Well, fall is filled with legends and myths and fairs and festivals, all celebrating the bounty from various cultures around the world. Pomona was the Roman goddess of apples, Bacchus the Roman god of grapes, and his Greek counterpart, of course, Dionysus. They all taught humans how to make wine. And many Native American tribes traditionally held special autumn dances to celebrate the corn harvest. And the Hopi considered this the most auspicious time of the year for getting wed. The Chinese and Vietnamese commemorate farmers and family reunions with moon festivals and lotus seed paste-filled mooncakes and retelling of folk tales. The ancient Celts, who lived 2,000 years ago, marked the end of the harvest with the festival of Samhan, the origin of what we called Halloween. Now, in my 20s, I was booked as a model by a talent agency that was named Demeter. Now, having always been fascinated by Greek mythology, I revisited the history books for a refresher lesson. Now, Demeter was the sister of Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, and she was the goddess of the harvest, of agriculture, and of grain. After her daughter, Persephone, was abducted by Hades and brought to the underworld, Demeter wandered the earth heartbroken, refusing to allow crops to grow. Now, being king of the gods, Zeus knew he had to intervene or everyone was going to starve, so he sent Hermes to Hades to bring Persephone home. Are you following me yet? I know there's so many different gods and goddesses. Well, before um, Hermes left to see her mother, Hades tricked Persephone into eating a few pomegranate seeds, guaranteeing that she would return to the darkness for one season a year. Demeter mourned that time, which became known as winter. But in order to celebrate the previous season, autumn, they reaped the abundance of the crops. So this is why fall is considered a time to slow down, to seek serenity, and to soothe the sores of summer before the time of winter. It's a time of color changes, a little bit chillier temperatures, and definitely cooler temperaments. Most of all, we rejoice the fruits of our toils. So it's a premier month for everything that is autumn. Now you have to be prepared because there are still lots of myths that happen in the fall. In our gardens, Purple loose, loose strife, they brighten the garden, although it could easily become an invasive spirit. You want to keep an eye on yours if you have it cultivated as I do. The grapes are finished now with the harvest. They are being crushed. There's going to be a new vintage. Guavas are self-harvesting. 
Apples are still ripe on the trees and ready for harvesting. The pistache and Japanese maple trees, as well as the liquid ambers, are blazing gold and crimson and saffron. Begonias are in full bloom, and the final days of picking fresh vegetables from our vegetable gardens are looming closer. As the French proverb states, autumn is the hush before winter. The days are shorter, the nights become longer as we commence the holiday fets of the forthcoming month. Autumn is indeed delicious, both literally and metaphorically. So you want to enjoy these final days of fluttering leaves and warm sunshine while indulging in the harvest and legends of the fall before Persephone has to return to the underworld. A few things that you can do this month. You can visit the library to find books relating to the myths, the tales, and the legends of autumn. It's also time to buy your spring blooming bulbs, including anemone, elephant ears, ranunculus, caladium, dahlias, freesia, shamrock, calla lilies, as well as you want to get the bulbs planted like tulips and daffodils or paper whites, crocus, and Dutch iris. Now, don't forget that crocus and tulips do need some refrigeration so they're cold before you plant them. You want to bring the outside in with some green air purifying plants, diffenbachia, fan palms, sail plant, ferns, and uh, philodendrons will all do the trick there. It's the time to plant shrubs and ornamental trees for year-round interest and now to allow them to develop strong, um, strong roots before winter dormancy. So you can consider hydrangea, lilac, and um, uh, forsyth. Now elevate your garden with climbers of wisteria, clematis, sweet pea, and climbing hydrangea. While you're raking the leaves, Make sure you compost them uh, as well as the grass cuttings and any fall debris because that's going to reinvigorate your spring soil. And if you have leaves, a lot of them, and you have a lawnmower, a smart thing to do would be to mow the leaves um, with your lawnmower so that it chops them up much more. Then divide ornamental grasses that have a dead center that, you know, if they have a ring of living green around them, but a dead center, that's the time to divide any ornamental grasses. And then you can replant them wherever it is that you want to replant them. Also, um, harvest. Right now, we're harvesting apples, tomatillos, eggplant, squash and of course it's pretty much the end of the season but you might still have a few tomatoes on your vine and before the winter rains start if there are green tomatoes uh, just pull them off because that's going to be um, you can also cook with green tomatoes you can collect baskets of self-harvested guavas Because what happens with guavas is they just fall to the ground and it's great to make like guava duff or any kind of uh, autumn dessert. Kale is doing really, really great. Uh, Cut the kale leaves to, you know, you can make smoothies, you can cook it, eat them in salads. I just read a recipe for kale muffins and I guess it doesn't taste like kale then. And if there are seed pods, 
you can collect those and sprinkle them around so that you'll have some more. Uh, prune the dead branches from any trees, especially any deciduous trees that haven't lost all of their leaves yet, because that will encourage new growth and you'll be able to see what are the, the dead branches. If you have any mounds of moles, you got to start stomping on them because they invade your lawn. They build tunnels alongside walks and brick. And although moles don't eat your plants, they do destroy the beauty of the soil with their burrowing. They're burrowing for grubs and beetles and worms and insects. And if you're wondering if you have gold, moles or gophers, let me give you a tip. Gopher mounds are crescent-shaped, and they have an opening in the middle whereas moles leave a rounded volcano-like pile. And it's uh, kind of a fluffy dirt, and it doesn't have an exit aperture. Now, both moles and gophers are territorial, and they're destructive. However, gophers are much worse because they'll eat your plants and the roots. I've seen uh, rose bushes just sucked right down. So eradicate the moles by collapsing their channels. So I just say stomp away. And of course, this is like the final month to seed or reseed your lawn. And this, or if you're going to lay sod, this is the best thing. Don't forget to make an emergency go bag as fires and other disasters, you know, earthquakes, uh, tornadoes, uh, hurricanes, etc. can strike at any time. And then create a beautiful arrangement or floral bouquet um, from the fallen leaves and the autumn, the autumn branches. And then if you want a garden consult, schedule one with me. I like to be your guide on the side. Before you put your uh, yard to bed, go to my website, CynthiaBryan.com. So I thank you so much for being a great listener and being with me here every week, every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. You can change your life and make your dreams come true. For more information about Star Style Productions or any coaching, visit CynthiaBryan.com. To make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. We want to empower women, families, and youth through increased literacy and positive media. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. See beyond your physical being and know you're already a star you dreamed of becoming. And pick up a book because it's like a garden in your pocket. I hope you'll pick up Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, where you can read Dallas Woodburn's chapter, The Gift of Gentleness, and then also go to Dallas Woodburn Author. Dot com so that you can pick up her books. Until we celebrate next week, remember, love always wins, kindness and gentleness always prevail, and smiles will keep us happy. My name is Cynthia Bryan for Star Style, thanking you and encouraging you to be the star you are. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, make a difference, and make this the best month ever. Thanks for joining me. We'll be together next Wednesday, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Network, live on Star Style. Be the star you are. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are. 
It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.